Okay, so we're going to look at lesson 16 today. Uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 32 through 37. So we're going to go through about, uh, about five, six chapters, but we're not going to read them. Actually, only one verse from one, from chapter 37. But we're going to look at Jacob and we're going to, we're at the point now where he leaves Laban. Last week, remember, we saw that he left Laban. Laban was warned by God not to say anything good or bad to uh, Jacob, but they leave, and so he comes back to Canaan. Okay, it's Canaan where he is. It's known as Canaan, or what we would call Palestine today. So we're going to basically take this in several sections. So the first thing that has to happen is, okay, so this has been over 20 years now. Remember, why did he leave Canaan in the first place, folks? Anybody remember why he left Canaan? To go up to be with Laban and Haran? Anybody remember? Well, to find a wife, yes, but there was another reason. That was the excuse to leave. Yeah, okay, what were you saying, Rob? I didn't hear anything. You... Yeah, he stole his brother's birthright, which was Esau. Was Esau happy about that? Was he happy? No, he threatened to kill him, right? He, well, he, yeah, he said he's going to kill him, all right? So you got to figure that into here now, because, all right, now this is an age where there is no cell phones. There is no internet. There's no telephones at all. So late... Jacob has been up with Laban for 20 plus years, serving up there. Does he have any clue about what's going on back home in Canaan? Now, so he doesn't know how things are going with Esau. He doesn't even know Esau's disposition. He doesn't know anything. Last thing he remembers is, is that his brother wants to what? Kill him. Okay, so let's take a look at this. First of all, so Jacob prepares to meet Esau. So as Jacob departed Laban. The angels of God met him. Isn't this, this is interesting to me. The angels of God met him. You'll see that there. And he calls the place by a name. This is God's camp, he says in verse 2 of chapter 32. Now, I think it's, if you look at these stories, if you, if you pay attention, Right before there's something that's getting ready to happen, God shows up and affirms him. And I think that's it's very it's interesting, isn't it? God shows up and affirms him right before something happens, right before there's a stressful situation, God shows up and affirms him. Why do you think that's necessary? If you're, if you're Jacob and you're heading home and you left a very bad, mean, angry older brother, what would you be thinking about on the journey heading home? About your brother, what's he going to do, how's he going to react? God shows up, the angels of the Lord show up, and they meet with him and they minister to him. It doesn't say anything more than that, okay? So Jacob sends messengers to Esau to announce his return. So Jacob sends messengers to Esau to announce his return. Now, here's what happens. The messengers come back, okay? So the, Jacob was afraid when he heard that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. Now, wouldn't you panic? 
Last thing you knew, your brother was wanting to kill you. Now you hear you sent messengers to tell him I'm coming, and he, he and the messengers come back. Oh, he's coming! He's bringing four hundred men. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Okay, so Jacob, of course, would be nervous. Would be nervous. Now, Jacob divided his household into groups that would meet Esau in intervals. So it's pretty interesting what he does. He kind of puts some distance between he and Esau by sending out his household in groups. So he sends out a certain group of animals and then another group of animals, and he's sending it out all in intervals to meet Esau. Okay, so you'll read that in the text there. So as he prayed, so you're going to see recorded now in this chapter that um, Jacob prays to God. So as he prayed, he recalled the promises of God. Jacob asked for deliverance. As he recalled the promises of God, he asked for deliverance. Now I think this is, is, is really an example to all of us here about prayer. When we pray, it is oftentimes very appropriate to talk to God about the promises that he has given you, especially the promises that he's given you through his word. And oftentimes you'll hear people say about praying God's word. So re- as you pray, you're remembering God's word and, and you're asking God to honor what he has said. You'll see this type of prayer over and over in the Old Testament. You see it with Nehemiah. God, you said you would do this. Would you fulfill your promise? So Jacob's doing the same thing here. He's asking for God to deliver him. So after sending his wives and children ahead, so they're at a place, uh, the King James has its Peniel or Penuel, and it's recorded both in the New King James. But after sending his wives ahead, Jacob was alone and wrestled with a man. Now the text records it as a man. He wrestles with a man. Now this is not just any man. Like who in the world would Jacob be wrestling with? He's wrestling with him at night. But he's wrestling with him, if you read the text, all night long. He's wrestling with this man all night long. They wrestled throughout the night, and the man asked Jacob to release him before the dawn came. So as they're wrestling through the night, the man tells Jacob, let me go, i got to leave. I've got to leave. So Jacob said that he will not release him unless the man bless him. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me, okay? Unless you bless me. So obviously Jacob knows this is no ordinary man, okay? And you're going to see that later. But Jacob understands who it is that he's wrestling with, okay? He's wrestling. He's by himself. His wives are across the brook. He's not with his wives. He's wrestling with this man, He knows there's something different about this man, and he says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. The man changes Jacob's name to Israel. Okay, remember I told you names are significant. So he changes Jacob's name to Israel and puts his hip out of socket. Okay? 
So he puts his hip out of socket, and the scripture records that from that moment on, he walked with a limp. He walked with a limp because, and when I say he put his hip out of socket, he wasn't doing like we see on wrestling on, on Raw or something where he's jumping off the line and, and knocking the bone out of joint or whatever. No, no, he just touched his hip and it came out of socket. Do you understand? There's something special about this man, okay? Something special about him. So Jacob asked the man's name. So he wants to know the man's name. The man says, why do you want to ask my name? And Jacob later recognized that he had seen God and survived. All right, now stop for a moment. I think this is very interesting. Every time you see somebody have an encounter with the living God in the Scripture, it forever marks them in some way. And the response is always the same. They are in awe that they are still alive after seeing God. Now, why would that be? Anybody have a clue why they would respond that way? Anybody? Well, the Bible says you see God, you'll die. But why? Well, yeah, because of his glory. and Yeah, but fear, what are they afraid of? Rob, do you, do you have any clue? Well, his power, but there's something more going on here because Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden. Yes, because we're sinners. It's because of our sin. Okay, all right, I want you everybody to stop for a moment. All right, think, think for a moment. We, we're good at making excuses and living with our excuses. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I've already mentioned there is nobody here that has a leg to stand on. If you think you're okay and you think you're walking with Jesus in a wonderful way, you are deceiving yourself. The fact of the matter is, is every single one of us here sin. You sin intentionally and ignorantly. Old Testament gives us a very clear picture that we had to make, they had to make sins for sins of ignorance, sins that they didn't even know. You're a sinner. Sin deserves what, according to the scripture? Yeah, okay, now here's the thing. So we're sinners. But we've come, especially in church culture, we've come to the place where, well, if you're unsaved, you just don't care. But in church culture, we've learned to make excuses for it. Well, they're just mistakes. They're character flaws. I'm German. I'm Irish. I'm a redhead. Do you know what I'm saying? Depending on what your issue is. We've learned to make excuses for it and adjust our lives to it. And so we've learned to live with them. We've learned to live with them. And so we can act like we're doing fine. But are we? No, we're not. When you stand before the living God, everything comes to light. Everything. That's why Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, Woe is me, for I'm a man of what? Unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah is recognizing that even his speech isn't right. We make excuses, but when you're standing in front of the living God, that is a That'll blow you away. In fact, what is it? You see, like, 
In Revelation chapter 1, John, when he sees the, the uh, glorified Jesus, he falls on his face as dead. Whoa. See, because everything's exposed with God. And so, is, is it any wonder Jacob says, I've seen God and I survived? I wrestled with God and I survived? Yeah, that, that, that should put it all in perspective, shouldn't it? In fact, when you realize that, here, let me just take it one step further. Okay, this is in addition to what we're talking about with Jacob. When you realize how God sees you as you are, it will blow you away then what Jesus did for you. Because he took the penalty for your sin. Did you understand what I'm saying? He took the brunt of it on the cross for you. That's why what he did for you is so amazing. That's why, as a believer, you should be in awe of the sacrifice of Jesus. But we just got, I'm saved, I'm okay. You know, here's a better one. I can always ask for forgiveness later. That's pretty flippant when you think about it. The reality is, is that he saw God <laughs> and he's amazed that he survived. Do you know what I'm saying? He's amazed that he survived. So here's what happened. Now, it's the next day. Of course, Esau is still coming with his 400 men. So he divides his family up into groups. And he groups them according to their his wives and concubines. Okay? So he groups them according to his wives and concubines and sends them out, you know, of course, Bilhah or Zilpah or, and of course, Leah and, and, and the kids are with him. And then finally, of course, Rachel with her kids, with her one son at this point, and sends them out in intervals. Now, here's the amazing thing. Esau then finally comes to Jacob, okay, with his 400 dudes. Meets Jacob, and here's what he does. He embraces him affectionately. In fact, if you read the scripture, he doesn't just embrace him like, oh, hey, give him a bro hug or something. It says he wept on his neck. That's pretty, I mean, obviously something's changed in 20 years, right? You know, something's obviously changed in 20 years. 20 years have been a long enough time for things to maybe be okay. So Esau met Jacob and embraced him infectiously and said, hey, hey, what's, what's all this stuff that was going here? And Jacob says, it's all yours. All of it's yours. All that cattle, all those sheep, you know, all those goats, that they're all yours. So Jacob offers all that he had to Esau, but Esau refused, stating that he had enough. Jacob says, you know, here, here, take it all, because he's feeling... Of course, he's feeling the pressure from what happened before he left. Esau says, look, I don't need that. I've got plenty. I've got plenty. I don't need that. So then they get into the discussion of Esau says, well, come on, travel with me back to my place. And Jacob says, no, no, I don't want to bother you. You know, I don't want to bother you. You go on ahead. And and uh, they get into this thing. It's very cultural about hospitality and so forth. So Esau departed and returned, departed and returned to Seir, or Mount Seir, while Jacob journeyed to Sokoth. 
So they're heading in different directions. Okay, because here's the thing, all right? Even though he hasn't seen him for 20 years, remember when he left, they were both 40, okay? So do you think Jacob knows his brother? Yeah, he knows him, okay? And so, um, you know, everything's okay, but he's still going to put distance between them. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so they, Esau departed and went to Seir, which would later be Edom, which would we, we, we would call it today Jordan, the nation of Jordan, okay? So, so Jacob journeyed to Shechem, where he purchased a plot. So this is interesting. Unlike his forefathers, he purchased a piece of ground, and he built an altar to the Lord. So he built an altar to the Lord. Now, here's what happens. This is, I told you, it was wild and crazy last week. It gets wild and crazy this week, okay? Jacob's daughter, Dinah, was sexually violated by a Hivite. Now, a Hivite is one of the Canaanite peoples, Hivites are, who wanted to marry her. So there's this Hivite boy who, or man, who really wants to marry Jacob's daughter, Dinah, and he violates her. He has sexual relationships with her, okay? But he wants to marry her. And that's a no-no back then. Premarital, whatever, doesn't, that didn't happen in that culture, okay? So Jacob's sons were angered and disgraced by what had happened. Okay, remember what I told you before? How many of you remember? We saw it with Laban, and we saw it with Isaac taking Rebekah, who was responsible for the marrying off of the daughters? Was it the dad? Who was it? The brothers. The brothers are the ones who are responsible and who make a decision concerning the marrying off of their sisters. Well, this Hivite guy, whatever his name is, he circumvented the whole system and of course, that brings disgrace and dishonor to who? The brothers. So Jacob's sons were angered and disgraced by what had happened. They stated, now here's what they do. They get a plan together, and here's what they do. They stated that the marriage could take place if the men of Shechem were circumcised. So he says, look, you know what? We can't, we can't allow this marriage because... You're not like us. You have to become like us in order for the marriage to take place. If you read the text, it's very interesting what they say. So you need to be circumcised. Okay? You need to be circumcised, and then, of course, you can marry marry, marry our, our sister. So this is what the boys have agreed to. So the men of Shechem agreed to the condition as they believed that Jacob's wealth would become theirs. So they're thinking, okay, let's do this. I mean, yeah, it's irritating, it's going to hurt, but we'll do this because eventually what he has will become ours. Do you know what I'm saying? Because of, through family relations. What he has will become ours. All those flocks and all that stuff he has, that big, big monstrosity that Jacob has will become ours. So they agreed to do it. Now, all right, so... When a young baby is circumcised, 
I can't even remember because our boys were. When a young baby is circumcised, how long does it take for the healing to take place? Does anybody remember? A few days, right? Okay. When an older male is circumcised, it's a few weeks. And, and initially what happens is that when they're circumcised, they are incapacitated. They can't do anything. Okay? They can't do anything. So it's not like a child. When a, when a, when a male, older male gets circumcised, it incapacitates them. Now, so think about this. All of the men of Shechem now have become circumcised on the same day. And they're vulnerable. So here's what happens. All the men were incapacitated, so Jacob's sons killed all the men and plundered the city. For vengeance. For their honor. That's scary, isn't it? I mean, they literally, I mean, they didn't just kill the men, took their wives, made them into slaves, sold them off, took all their stuff, this is what they did. Wow. Okay, didn't learn that in Sunday school, did you? Okay, you don't teach little kids that story. Okay, but they did it because of the dishonor shown to Dana. Now, the key ones who led this, now there's a reason why we're talking about this story. Why is this story in here? There's a reason why this story is in here. Okay, remember who the first four boys were. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Jacob. And remember, in their culture, who does the inheritance go to? The oldest. Now here's what we're going to see. Fearing the Canaanites, Jacob rebuked Simeon and Levi for their murderous actions. Jacob says, look, you're going to make me a stench in the nostrils of the Canaanite peoples because of what you've done. Nobody's going to trust us. They're going to think we're, you know. But here's what happens. Who who are these two? He, sing, he didn't single out all of the boys. He singled out the two oldest who were involved. And they happened to be number two and three. The number fourth brother we'll see later is who? Judah. Okay? So that's why the scepter they would say, is passed to Judah later on, okay, as the ruling tribe, all right? So, at the direction of God, Jacob returned to Bethel where his family put away their foreign gods. Again, this is we read this and we kind of miss what's going on here. Here we have Jacob who, remember, he bought this piece of property, built an altar to the Lord, but again... He's met with God, he's wrestled with God, he's seen angels. But his family also is what, folks? Worshipping other gods, household gods, household idols. Isn't that interesting? So they're not like in complete devotion. You can't say that. I mean, even though they're meet, he's meeting God. Did you understand what I'm saying? So at the direction of God, they go to Bethel. Remember, it was at Bethel where he saw the ladder going to heaven, you know, when he slept with a rock as a pillow. So they go back to Bethel. God says, put away your foreign gods. 
So the Lord appeared to Jacob and reaffirmed the Abrahamic promise to him. So again, that Abrahamic covenant was reaffirmed to Jacob, or Israel, as he's also called. Okay? Now, we break, he brings up the story of Rachel again. It's only a few verses, but Rachel again gets pregnant. But she, she died giving birth to her second son, which Jacob named Benjamin. So she dies, dies giving birth to Benjamin. And Jacob buried Rachel on the way to Bethlehem. So Rachel was buried in the vicinity of Bethlehem. I, I, you know, when I, was, when I was writing this lesson, I remembered, of course, there is the scripture, the Old Testament prophet talks about Rachel weeping for her children. But remember what happens in the area of Bethlehem when after Jesus is born? And the scripture is mentioned in the New Testament about Rachel weeping. Isn't that interesting? She happens to be buried nearby. You know what I'm saying? Weeping for her children. And it's in Bethlehem that what? Herod would have all the boys killed. Okay? Just some interesting things here. They're not, I, I don't think they're just weird coincidences, you know? So, Reuben, alright, we see this. Reuben went and had relations with Bilhah and Jacob heard of it. Alright? So Reuben went and had sexual relationships with Bilhah and Jacob heard of it. Now, the writer lists the 12 sons according to the order of Jacob's wives. So the next thing you're going to see in the text there is the 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel, are listed according to the order of the wives. All right? According to the order of the wives. So now we come to chapter 35, verses verse 27 through chapter 37, verse 1. So let's talk about verse 27 through 30, 29 of chapter 35. Isaac is still alive when, when Jacob comes home. Isn't that amazing? Remember, he gave the blessing thinking he was going to what? He lived another 20 years. Okay? Lived another 20 years. So he died at the age of 180 years old and was buried by his sons, Esau and Jacob. Okay? Lived another 128 years, and was buried by his sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, I've only got one line to describe chapter 36, through verse 1 of chapter 37, and that's because this is the writer's uh, description of Esau and his descendants. The writer lists the descendants of Esau who would become the nation of Edom, Mount Seir. And you're probably wondering, so why does, why does God, why does he spend his time listing this out? Well, because he's basically informing the Jews of, guess who your enemies came from? This is, they're your cousins. Did you understand? Because this is Jacob's brother's family, and that would be Edom. And Edom would be a thorn in the side of Israel 
forever. Do you understand? And we would say today that Edom is Jordan. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's Jordan, the nation Jordan. 